Streaming live from Taos, New Mexico. Here is Dr. J. Allen on Safety FM. Broadcasting live from the Safety FM studios in Orlando, Florida. Here is your host, Dr. J. Allen on Safety FM. This episode of the broadcast and the podcast is brought to you by Safety Focus Moment. They're consultants that want to help you get the safety culture you've been looking for. For more information, go to safetyfocusmoment.com. Well, hello and welcome to Safety FM. This is Jay Allen. How are you doing? Well, it is June 11th, so hopefully you are enjoying the heat, the rain, or wherever the heck you are at. The weather change that has occurred and you're enjoying this beginning portion of the summer. We are here in good old sunny Florida, so it has been, believe it or not, mostly raining. (laughs) But I guess it is what it is, and that's how life goes. Well, I hope you're having a lot of success in your safety field, safety industry, and the things that you're doing. We are continuing on here at Safety FM. As you can see, we have the road shows coming up, so please be paying close attention to those. And also, we are continuing to stream on safetyfm.com. And we are also available on the Spreaker streaming platform so that we do have two separate options for streaming. And of course, always available at the Safety FM app, which is available on Android, Apple, and an Alexa skill. But let's get that out of the way and let's get the conversation started. Today, we have the pleasure of interviewing T.A. Laser. Tabitha Laser to some, T.A. Laser is how I got to know her. And she is a author of a book titled Organization Culture Killers, How Leaders Build Cultures of Success, Deadly Practices. So if you are at the American Society of Safety Professional conferences going on this week in New Orleans, Tabitha is there. And today, which is Tuesday at the 11th at three o'clock, she is actually hosting a speech at the conference. If you do get the opportunity, go by and listen to her speak. Also, she does have a booth on the conference floor where she is promoting her book. So probably take a stab at that also. Anyways, I don't want to tie this up too long. I want to get us started and you to enjoy the conversation that we have with T.A. Laser here on Safety FM. Now, before we jump into it, I just want to say one thing. We do lose the connection at one point during the call. So if it does get a little awkward or choppy, that's the reason behind it. But I'll try to get that corrected as much as possible as we proceed on. Anyways, enjoy the interview here on Safety FM. It begins in Orlando, Florida and travels steadily to the West. Beaming across North America and planet Earth and into your head. The world of safety never stops. And now the Safety FM podcast and broadcast with Dr. Jay Allen don't believe we've met before i don't think we've met, i don't think we've met in person but i like i i follow a lot of people on on linkedin which i know is kind of kind of a right. weird, weird way of finding people but it's just been interesting on what the, what the things that you discovered and then when i had seen that there was movement going on with your book i was like this might be an opportunity for us to be able to connect yeah yeah well, i'm at assp every year i'm the chapter president of the gulf coast which is the largest chapter and i speak every year and and so I'm always 
excited to meet other safety professionals, even though I'm kind of changing my maze a little bit to have a bigger impact. I am just, I'm excited to meet you and hopefully get to meet you in person one day. Well, what I always tell people is that what happens with our business is you use the word safety and it throws people off. But if I tell right. you that we're doing process improvement, then I might be willing to listen a little bit more because you didn't tie the word safety into it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that's really what it came down to is I've been doing management system work and strategy and culture work um, for, gosh, 20 of my 25 years, at least not more. And it, exactly what you said, you know, that stigma of safety. And it's immediately pigeonholes you as kind of a necessary evil. No matter what leadership says to you, you're an expense, right? right. And and you take that away and it's they have a totally different approach. If you go, like you said, process improvement or you go to you know, management systems, success, well, it, risk management. It, it's always interesting because if you use the term safety, like I said, that ends up taking place. But if you use process improvement, depending on who your audience is, right. all of a sudden you're telling them there's something wrong and it needs to be fixed. Automatically, yeah. the default is it's a person. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. For sure. For sure. That's where I, that's actually why I mean about culture. Right. Because culture is that buzzword that everybody's blaming right now. Mm-hmm. So if you spend the culture, the culture is actually what delivers success. So it puts it back in their lap without them realizing you're doing it. Them being leadership. I understand what you're saying exactly. And don't get me wrong, because I look at it and I go, there's so many different aspects to what we do. And if we apply this more along the lines of let's do it across the organization, opposed to being very specific and going, we'll, we'll use the word quote unquote niche here, but instead of being it's only the safety portion, but we just go, it's the whole organization. Yeah, I know that embodies a lot of things, but I think people are a little bit more open to having the discussion. Yes, exactly. And and one of the things, I, I mentor a lot of safety professionals, and one of the things I try to help them with is that we need to partner with operations, with senior leadership, we shouldn't be, you know, the safety cops. We're more of an advisory role partnering with them to help them attain success for the organization. Right. And so if we flip it that way and look at it, we're actually a partner with them. Well, as I look through your background, you started off in safety, which is not very common. So how did you decide to go down this approach? I mean, that's like the start. Most people don't start there. Right. Yeah. Well, I actually, it's a funny story. I actually went to college to be a criminal psychologist. That was my initial studies. (laughs) And, um, And learned quickly that psychologists don't get paid well unless they get doctorates and books. And uh, I love human behavior and I also learned I didn't really love criminal the criminal justice system. <laughs> and uh, it just so happened that the, the college I was attending had a uh, EHS program. And 
So I switched. I just went in and switched. And I actually worked with the dean there to create a special degree. So I, to this day, I believe I'm the only industrial material safety graduate from Missouri State University here in Central Missouri. Very, very interesting. So you started yeah. with that and then you realized that the money is in psychology is the further you get up and then the yeah. book in the doctorate. I'll disagree with the doctorate portion. I can I can attest to that. <laughs> um, but it, it, it just really depends on, on, I guess, what niche you go into. Right. Right. The, so as you're going down this path, so you, were, you started off as a safety assistant, but then you went into veteran affairs and you were a safety advisor. So how does that work? Yeah, so that was actually during my program in my undergraduate studies. I worked with a construction company as as an assistant, right? So I just wanted to learn what was safety while I was going through the program and get the hands-on experience. And as I went through it, again, with the human behavior and the safety, I got a good idea of those two pieces of the puzzle, but I was missing the leadership side of it, the management side of it. So I stuck around and got my master's. And during that time, I basically took on, it was a internship, but I was in a safety management kind of role um, for the VA hospital there in Kansas City. And that gave me, a, and I had a great mentor at that location, and that gave me a great opportunity to see what, the trifecta was right. So you have the EHS on one side, and then you have leadership, and then behavior. Those three together, and it it really helped prepare me for success. And it's it's why I was able to get the job with 3M after because I was so well rounded. Well, I, and the thing is that as you go through your background, the m- from one organization to the other, everything has the word safety or risk or anything that's related to the fall into that category. Your computer's yeah. going crazy. I know it is. I'm trying to put everything down and then I can't turn it on mute or I'll mute you. So sorry about that. So yes. as, as I look through this, how did you, I mean, you went from organization to organization doing safety and it's just, it's a different scope from organization to organization. What excited yes. you about this in regard to being involved with safety? Because as you are aware, sometimes this is not the most glamorous job, depending on what you're doing inside of an organization. Yes, yes, definitely. So I, early in life, my, it's a long story, but when I was three, my first childhood memory uh, is of my dad teaching me how to siphon gas out of his truck. And telling me that would be a life skill I'd need only to go back in the backyard, throw the gas on the grill and uh, be engulfed in flames in front of me. So a uh, very traumatic event. It's safety like a natural fit, even though I'm more of an entrepreneur, um, more of a strategist is the way my brain works. But that, that event early in my life set me down a path where really want to prevent 
others from having to go through what I went through, my family went through in that ordeal. And so even though with most organizations, I've been in a safety type role, you can see I've worn multiple different hats, right? Like you saw operations, sales, um, engineering, <laughs> risk, you know, I've, I've kind of worn any hat because I do approach it from a more strategic approach and how to partner with an organization. But I keep the safety hat because I've been so passionate about preventing workplace incidents. Well, what, what you mentioned at the very beginning in regards of your first memory when you were three, did he survive? He did survive. Um, we, we, I had twin brothers at the time that were at least six months old. And so we had six to nine months where my dad was in the hospital and my mom was having to do everything. I think that's one reason I'm so type A because I had to step up at three and help her, <laughs> you know? And, and um, so it was very, very traumatic and, and it definitely had an impact on the rest of my life. Absolutely. I can now definitely, I understand why you went down this trajectory. Now, as you're going down this path and everything has changed inside of your life, especially at such a young age, you decide at one point, I think you've had enough of the corporate world, quote unquote, and you decide to go do your own thing. You're doing your own consulting business. And how does, how does that feel from going from the standpoint of being the person that's being consulted, quote unquote, to going and doing the consulting out in, out in the world? Actually, yeah. So after I had done some consulting work after leaving Charter Communications and I like to study income and I like to have more of an impact because in a consulting role, you get out there, you help, and then you don't always see the results, right? And I felt like there was a void. And so I went back into operations and after BP, I had learned so much and I had such a great mentor that really opened my eyes to what I was missing. Because in the U.S., we don't do a good job of educating leaders. We train managers. That's what we do. You go to school, you do your homework, you turn in your tests, you sit and walk in single file line, you do all of that. So after BP, I wanted to try something different. And that's when I took on a role with CH2M, which recently was purchased by Jacobs Engineering. So it's the largest engineering firms in the world. Um, and the role I took with them was as a practice leader. So even though it was an EAS practice leader, I was responsible for building the consulting side of the business for the entire organization and serving every single client they had if they had e safety needs. So I was really more of in a sales role and a strategy role to work with clients. And that's, that's, that, that was, that was the kicker for me because I went from one, you know, going in and helping build effective management systems or fixed management systems for one organization at a time to 10 plus a month, you know, and the things that I had been taking notes on for years as far as issues that kept occurring over and over and over, I saw even more. And to the point, it was, I was not sleeping. 
I was stressing, you know, here I am trying to impact positive change. And I just felt like I was hitting a wall. I would get in meetings with C-suite individuals and they would look at the safety department. I mean, I could see safety departments just crying inside because they wanted leadership support and leaders would pay for them to do these culture assessments and these gap assessments and, you know, documented improvements and all of these things. But when it pushed came to shove, when it got back into the C-suite box, they'd look at it and go, okay, but you've done what you need to do. I don't see how that impacts anything else. And these were, I'm not going to say who, but a lot of these were leaders that get up in front of other safety professionals and say what a great culture they have and how amazing things are and are educating others on how to have such a great culture and work with leaders and they're not even able to do it. So it, it just, it was tearing me up inside uh, to see this occurring and also to have been in the C-suite and, and, and seeing the back behind the doors, right? The stuff we don't want to say is going on because we want, you know, the legal or whoever gets involved and, you know, we don't want to have negative repercussions for admitting the truth. And I just couldn't take it anymore. Uh, I told my husband that uh, he didn't make a leap of faith and he agreed. I went in the next day and turned in my resignation and said, I, I need to do something different. I need to not have, an, I need to not have that buffer of an organization telling me what I can and can't say, what I can and can't share, because we're not headed down a good path the way we're going right now. And we need, we desperately need to build better leaders, make significant changes for improvement. And we're not gonna do that as long as we have that buffer of legal and others preventing us from sharing learnings and, and tools with each other. And that's why I resigned. I now, at, at, at this time, are you having the idea of creating the book or are you still looking at what is next steps? Yeah. So I've been working on the book for over 15 years. Uh, I did not realize how much data I had gathered for the book. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we can say it by title, organization culture killers. I mean, <laughs> oh, that was not the first talk about. It's really not to build cultures of success. But uh, yeah, I was like, what, what type of, you know, I'm, a, I, I'm Stephen King, Ding Tunes, I'm a big horror fan. So I was like, what type of shock value can I put on the cover? Um, <laughs> this really came from blood and guns and all types of stuff. Well, you, you have that very um, vibrant red color on the cover. So it, it is kind of that eye catching, like, oh, what's going on here? So if you look, there's a smoking gun. There's a bullet hole from the back. Mm -hmm. There, there's toe tag. Yes, <laughs> like, I, I did. I did catch that. <laughs> there's so much on it. Just trying to say, guys, we've got to stop doing these things and change our approach, or we're not we're not going to improve, and we're going to continue to get worse because as data gets bigger and the world moves faster, and our customers demand more. We're continuing to overcomplicate things with knee-jerk and quick reactions that are killing us. They're killing our ability to succeed because we're not properly planning a front and, and setting up strong foundations. And as the cracks start to show, as we grow, we're not fixing them. We're, we're basically putting bubble gum on the cracks in our foundation versus going out and like saying, are we at the right site, right? Is our foundation strong? Do we need to report? You know, what is going on? We're not doing that. So 
uh, yeah, the book, going back to that question, um, 15 years ago, I started notes on napkins and everything else. And when I resigned, I started pulling everything together. And my initial, I told my husband, was, yeah, I write this book in a month. <laughs> <laughs> and then as I pulled everything together, I realized I had enough information to write, you know, a 10 inch wide, you know, uh, book that nobody would read uh, in, you know, it'd be longer than The Stand by Stephen King. And so um, I actually had some guidance from my younger son who said, make it like the tree Magic Treehouse series and decided to break it up into a series of 10 books. Oh. And a year later, uh, I finished the first book and it's an inch and a half thick. And he said, well, break it up more. So now I have four books in the first set of the 10 set series. It's a lot. We've got a lot of, a lot of room for improvement. Okay. Wow. Well, I did not. Wow. That's a lot of books coming in a very short period of time then. So as you're saying that you actually had gathered all your notes over the 15 years. So are you keeping a hold of these napkins, papers, anything that you're writing down on during that time frame? And then all of a sudden, is it kind of like the hunt um, to go find all of this information or was pretty much you already had it sorted because you knew this is the path you were going to go down. Yeah. So that's a great, it was, it was a little bit of a hunt, but I'm, I'm like a squirrel, right? I keep everything. Uh, so it wasn't difficult to take my file cabinets of information and input them in. I'm an Excel nerd. Anyway, <laughs> spreadsheets everywhere. And I inputted everything into uh, spreadsheets and I quickly learned, in addition to the fact I had too much information, was that I still didn't have enough information. And that's when I took a step back and started reaching out to other leaders, uh, subject matter experts around the world and reading. Oh, my gosh. I'd read many leadership books. I probably read over 100 year taking notes on my Excel spreadsheet on everything because my intent with the book was not to overwhelm people with studies and research but to boil it down to the basics here's the problem here's potential solutions what are you going to do about it not you know, people uh, lots of teachers and professors have read read my book and said wow oh, why don't you have the data to back this? And I'm like, go read the other hundred leadership books <laughs> for all of that. This is just really a guide um, where it pulls all of the information from other books and other professionals and other leaders. I've, I've spoken to world leaders who I can't even mention because they could be fired or impeached or whatever the case may be uh, for speaking to me. They're not allowed to for their government policies. Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. So, yeah. So, but it was, it was so exciting. And I continue to interview people. Um, everyone from the manager of, uh, you know, a convenience store um, to small business owners, to government officials, to, you know, others who've written books, uh, professionals like yourself. I'd love to interview you sometime um, after this call or after this interview. Um but I just continued to learn and, and input that into the information in the series. Very interesting. I mean, in just the approach that you're taking it, it's, I guess we'll say it's a breath of fresh air, like people like to say, but it's, it's such a different approach in just the different organizations that you've been able to interact with. 
and the different areas that you've had the opportunity to work at, which is the other amazing part, because the safety, yeah. the safety career of yours has taken you to a lot of different places. You've seen a good chunk of the United States. I mean, anytime that I can say somebody's lived in Lake Placid, Florida, if you've ever yeah. been there, oh, I mean, more power to you. But why? <laughs> Well, the fact you know that there is a Lake Platform and where it is, I didn't know when I first <laughs> with BP. I thought I was going to where the movie was made, and it's actually not. It's farm. It's farm country, just north of the Everglades. Mm-hmm. So it is. Ew! Wow, it was a cultural experience. Yeah, like, it's, it's right never, next. To, it's right next to that lovely area called Frostproof, and nothing against either one. I just want to make sure that I'm clear on that. But it's. It's different. It's not the Florida. That's not what people expect of Florida. No, no, not at all. We lived on a canal to a clear, to a lake. Um, it was not clear water by any means. There's alligators <laughs> and, and leeches and everything else you could think of in there. Um, but when you think Florida, you think oceans. You don't think lake. <laughs> so, and there's a lot in the middle of. Uh, Florida. You don't realize, you know, oranges come from Florida. They're going to be growing somewhere. They're not growing on a beach. <laughs> right, they're definitely not growing on the beach. Well, that's that's the funny part because I actually used to live in Texas many, many moons ago. And when I moved to Florida, I was convinced that I was moving not to Tampa. I was moving to Tampa Bay. Let's make it on telling everybody, moving to Tampa Bay, not realizing that Tampa is really not the part that's on the water. It's more clear water than it is. But I always yes. thought it was kind of funny on how that worked out. But I, I, I see that you're from you know, from the, the greater Houston area. And I used to actually live out there towards Pearland many, many, many moons ago when they were still building the master communities um, that yeah. were out there. Yeah, I did too. So I lived um, in Houston and A-Leaf back when it was like the premier locale mm-hmm. um, from age, what, six to 11, five to 10, somewhere in there. And then moved away and I hated my parents forever because I love Texas. Mm-hmm. And when I had the opportunity to move back with BP, uh, I did move into uh, a master plan community further out west in Katy, mm-hmm. but I, that's my home. Even though I was born in Louisiana, I've lived all over the country. I am a Texan. Well, you lived in San Diego, <laughs> the place that I'm in love with. Um, it's been many, many years since I've been back, but I loved it. But I lived in Texas for quite a while, and I'm sure I'm not going to put any of this on there, just so you, just so you know, but it <laughs> triggered, my, triggered my head. But it's just, like, just amazing just the different places on where this career of yours is taking you. Now, as you got the inspiration of doing the book because of what had happened inside of your career, what would you tell the audience that's really the people that should be reading this book? Do you think this applies to everybody in general, even your standard practitioners, or do you believe that this is more management and C-level people? So that is a great question. Um, When I originally started this, I was gearing it more... In fact, if you watch the little big whiteboard video clip that's still out there, um, I was hearing it more to senior leaders. And as I was doing the interviews, I actually interviewed some senior leaders that were millennials. And in talking to them, they said, especially one uh, specifically, said, why are you trying to create material for them as in the more senior, senior leaders have been around a long time. They saying, this is the, you know, impression coming from a millennial senior leader, C-suite leader. They already know everything. Why don't you try to impact the future leaders so we can actually make a difference? 
And he said, we love conferences. We love to learn. We love, you know, just give us the answers and let us run with it. You know, we need this. And that's when I shifted the, the target. And, and that's why the book has big font, you know, and they're small and they have lots of pictures and comics and everything else in it. Um, and really short and to the point, you know, so they don't want all the research. They just want to know how, how do I fix it? How do I make it better? And so the, the, the target really is, it's a guide. It's an educational guide for up and coming leaders or people in positions where they need to influence better decisions by senior leadership. So safety professionals fall in that, right? We're not the C-suite, but we we need to be able to accomplish things. And we're always told no. That was a challenge for me early on. You know, we need we need more people. We need more money. We need more resources. Why won't you support this? We need to do this. Can't you see it'll add money to the bottom line? And we're constantly told no, right? Information in this series is speaking directly to the heart of the safety professionals and future leaders who want to achieve results without having to put up, put through the crap that you and I have had to go through, right? How many walls have you hit trying to get things accomplished and being told no, but not being told why? When you start hearing these different, not we won't go with the different concepts, but when you start going down this path, do you believe that the millennials that are getting into the safety side of the business, should they have the same business acumen as the C-suite leaders? Or do you believe that they should only focus mostly on safety to get into that same room? It's a question I, I like, that I like to ask people because depending on generation, it, the answer varies. Yes. No, they need to understand leadership. They need to have leadership skills, which again, we don't teach. That's part of what I'm trying to do after the series is create some uh, collegiate and high school and even elementary school uh, materials to help build leader. But they need to join with the acumen. In fact, I hope your audience doesn't attack me because I'm sure it'll happen. But organizations don't need safety people. Every single person in an organization should be accountable for safety. What what they need is partners and advisors, right? So get get rid of safety managers. But then again, I want to get rid of managers and directors, titles and leadership roles, period, because I believe leaders influence, right? So safety advisors or safety influencers, we should all change our titles. Doing that simple little step will change the perception from senior leadership on how they view safety and they view us in our roles immediately. I mean, and I have to agree with you to an extent in regards on how we title people, because I think it's terrible when you turn around and somebody goes, this is my boss, this is my manager, opposed to leader, team leader. And and yes, you're probably going to get crucified about get rid of the safety. That's a whole other thing. (laughs) Um, Again, I'm not saying that they don't need us. mm -hmm. They just don't need safety managers. They need us as 
influencers and advisors. (laughs) But my question to you, and I I know that I I probably started breaking up when when we started going through it, but the, the question is, you said for them to understand what, you know, because we don't, they don't need leaders and, or excuse me, they don't need titles, but they need to have an understanding of how the organization runs. Now, when you look at this, do you look at it more along the lines from a behavior-based safety standpoint, or do you look at it from a different aspect, like you in an organizational performance or something else? So I look at it, uh, actually, I call it the three P's, which I know is acronyms in safety world, mm-hmm. but uh, people, performance, and public. So I really believe you have to have good balance between the three in order to influence anything and make balanced decisions. In fact, in the book, am I allowed to say curse words on your? It's uh, absolutely, abs- absolutely. <laughs> uh, in the book, I, I talk about. I have a tool actually for showing the balance. It's a circular balance. It's not just a two-scale balance. And, and the reason that is, is because we tend to see things as right and wrong. Yes, no, you know, approve, don't approve. Versus looking at the, the different impacts that our decisions make, right? So when you're looking at things from the human behavior side and the people side, that's important. But if you forget about the performance and the profitability and the company's, you know, ability to um, float, <laughs> survive and thrive, um, you, what you do is you put so much focus on the people side if you look play only. And, and I, I'll um, touch on this in a minute, but if you put too much focus there, you don't consider the impacts to the other, to the people and or to the public and the performance you end up creating risk. So imagine that scale, if you see it in the book, you put too much weight on one P and the other two go up because they have increased risk because you're not considering all aspects during your decision. And in doing that, what I say is that by focusing on any one P too much, you focus things up. <laughs> nice <laughs> because you you increase risk to business in those areas and that's not a word I can coin uh, the phrase for I had an Argentinian friend who would sit in meetings and pound his desk hands on desk with he, the senior leaders wouldn't listen and he's like you are listening you need to focus you need to focus <laughs> and uh, it just sucks I said that's a perfect word that's what we're doing whenever we we say we're the safety people and safety's Safety's first. Whenever you do anything first, you're focusing things up. You need to have balance. And uh, and I really think that's a message that our folks need to hear. Yeah, it's, it's going to throw some people off at the moment you say it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when I do it in college settings, uh, educating our future leaders, they love it. <laughs> no, absolutely. I mean, oh in, in, gosh, this, this old one of the great part about it is definitely it's an attention getter and that's what you want because you I mean just in not saying that you would lose the audience but if you do all of a sudden you say something like that they're like what just happened here how did this just flip <laughs> so I find it interesting now I know that you do, you wrote the book and you do consulting what kind of organizations do you do a lot of consulting with or are you just kind of doing a little bit of everything yeah so I work with 
everyone who needs help. Um, I, I've been, uh, I have big projects with big clients, right, with the Fortune 500. Um, and I have contractors that help those. But my, my passion, my passion personally is more on the coaching side. So I work with existing leaders and future leaders. Um, they have issues, right? Like I need to get this approved. I had one recently that really wanted to be interested in an organization and her senior leaders wouldn't support it. And we had a, a coach, a, you know, a one hour coaching session and I, I am a sort of cancel coach. It worked her um, through the scenarios, how to approach it better to get the results she wanted versus the way she was approaching it, which is the way 99% of American safety professionals approach things. And that's just a major statistic, by the way. Um, and she called back the next day and said, oh my gosh, not only are they going to support it, but they added two more people to it and they're getting a shirt so it can represent our organization at the, you know, at this, uh, in this involvement in this organization. So that's my passion, is the coaching. Uh, for the consulting side, it's really on gap assessing where the needs are against the OPALs, which is uh, in my book as well. It's going away from a management system, an operating management system, to more of a global, uh, all-inclusive operating and performance management system or leadership system, as I call it. But it doesn't matter the company size. The, the, the smaller organization, you know, five to 20 people seem to get a lot of value from it because they're the ones just now setting their foundation for success. And it helps them grow faster and actually be more competitive with some of the big guys out there that have the cracks and crumbling foundations. Um, you see some of the bigger companies beginning to struggle. Facebook, um, Google, because they they had a great culture for a small organization, but as they grew, they didn't have a strong enough foundation to support growth. And they're struggling now to try to figure out how to fix it. So it's better to get it early on. But we we help big ones too who are trying to patch, patch the crack. Oh, absolutely. I mean, people have issues across the board, depending on what they are, you know, what's going on inside of the organization. Now, with all the free time that it sounds like you have, you decided yeah, also right? to um, go for becoming the actual American Society of Safety Professionals president for the Gulf Coast chapter. I, I don't understand how you do it. Do you have an extra hour a day that most people don't have, or how does this work in your world? No. Um, <laughs> it was one of those, you know, I, I always want to step up and help where I can. And two years ago, I got a call that they didn't have anybody qualified that was running to run, which was, just boggles my mind, right? That we've got 2000, almost 2,000 members, and nobody wants to step up and be president. And that's evident of what's going on in our world. We're being we're, we're being asked to do more with less. We're killing ourselves. People in China are dropping dead from working. I'm not kidding. It's an epidemic, and we're headed in that direction. And so I, of course, the gal step up 
and the only the only reason and we've had a hell of a time uh, as I, right after I became president literally two months after Hurricane Harvey hit the Houston area it actually flooded and we lost our meeting location of 15 years <laughs> you know it's just like that's just president but I but the only reason we've been successful is because we have such a strong executive committee and membership that are have been jumping in and really, you know, together we've been able to do a lot. And um, we've not only performed well, but we went from a gold chapter to a platinum chapter, and that was process-wise. So that's where my brain then, because I'm not, I'm not a manager. I'm an awful manager. You can ask any of my executives. <laughs> <laughs> I suck at it. I, I am not good with the details and more strategy, right? Um, but what I found early on as president and everything blowing up around me, or flooding around me literally, uh, is that the process we had was awful. You'd go to a website and say, here's what, you know, chapters should do to succeed. And I had no way to benchmark that, to see what other, you know, others were doing, um, to track my performance, to, to continuously provide nothing besides this website with a bunch of numbers on it. And then I was to enter the information, you know, throughout the year and at the end of the year. So again, with my Excel spreadsheet, I did the simple thing and just backed it up and took that information, plugged it into an Excel chart so I could see what they said was what a chapter should be. And at the beginning of my first year and sat down with my executive committee and we went through that thing. It was excruciating line by line by line and said, who's going to do this? What are we, what are our goals? What are we going to do? When do we need to do it by? Provided them, everybody with the training for their roles was available. And then let them go, right? And we had our meetings, and every once in a while I'd touch in with them. And then mid-year we did a review line by line to see where we were struggling and where we're going to make our goals by the end of the year, and we adjusted. But I didn't micromanage. That's that's a a different approach, I will tell you, because most people want to micromanage on how that process works. But whatever you're doing is successful, and that's the important part. Yeah, it's really we've got to learn to influence. So many managers tell me to my face to say, I don't, I don't see what you're doing. What value do you add? You know, um, you're not doing anything. Well, why aren't you out in the field watching your guys work? You know, and I'm not, I, with my behavioral, human behavior approach, I, I'm not a huge advocate of people sitting around watching other people work. Mm-hmm. I believe that behavior is more set by, Clearly communicating your expectations, being giving them the resources to do what's needed to meet those expectations, and then empowering them to, to go out there and not do them, but like bash them, right? Fly past them. And we don't do that at all. Oh my gosh, no. We we tell you what you need to do, we micromanage it, we we Give you five star potential, but tell you nobody can get five stars. What the heck? Right? Like, right. You want to talk about the biggest demotivator in, in organizations around the world? 
put in place an incentive program that's just you it's almost impossible to get a five. I, I think the majority of them, when they're set, when they're set up that way, they do it on purpose because you have to have live towards something that you can obtain, and that's the mentality on when they're developed. Not saying that they're accurate, but that's the mentality of you always have to shoot towards something in the long run. No, I think five is you are meeting your expectations. You set them, you meet them, you should get five stars. Anything over that, then that's bonus potential. That's promotion potential. That's Here's some more money for your personal development. Not, hey, here's five stars, but you'll never hit it. Right. That's such a demotivator. Mm-hmm. Awful. So, anyway, I probably derailed from your question. Oh, no, no, no. You're, you're, per- you're perfectly fine. Now, now so, if the listeners want more information about you, where would they need to go? Yes. Yeah, so, there's information on my website at TA laser like a laser beam with an s not an r ta laser.com uh, they can find me on linkedin and twitter and facebook and all of those other great channels um and there is information in my book as well um the website's in there okay well tabitha i appreciate you coming on to safety fm yeah i i, I appreciate you having me on this was great enjoyed it The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen. SafetyFM.com Now you can hear us around the world streaming 24-7 at SafetyFM.com